Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week we sit down with personal trainer and beacon for positive change, Chris Scales. In this truly inspirational conversation, we dig into Chris's new book, More Than a Trainer, to discuss battling addiction and loss at a young age, how faith has helped guide him, and shedding your false identity. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, my friend, uh, you got a drink handy there? I do. Awesome. Well, let's do a virtual cheers to get us going. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. What do you got in that uh, fancy drink there? You got you got some well, uh, protein powder going on. You got mm-hmm. some... <laughs> I, I was going to have a coffee. I'm a coffee guy, but... Uh... <laughs> I, I actually, I, I had enough today. I, I didn't want to be talking too fast, so I, I left it at water. <laughs> Fair enough. We got a little crazy here. <laughs> I like that. Uh, when you say you're a coffee guy, how many coffees would you say that you drink in a day? I, I usually just do two. Okay. Uh, but uh, but the, yeah, the odd time, I'll, I'll end up having three. So, which is better than sometimes in the past. I've had, I've definitely been further than that. <laughs> yeah. Is this yeah. Uh, now, is this a conscious effort in, in terms of consuming caffeine in general? No, this is, uh, we'll probably get into more on that, but that's just my, my behavioral patterns, we'll call it. And for, for me personally, it's just basically trying to keep that in moderation without going overboard. Because I could drink coffee right into the night and I can go to sleep. It doesn't affect me. It's not about the caffeine. So I don't get uh, I don't get a big kick off it. Let's put it that way. I see. Yeah. See, I've, I've experimented a lot with coffee over the years. Uh, and I have had that instance where I've had to consciously cut back because even though I felt like I could get and I'm sure that the, this is different for most people, for different people. But for me, I was getting to that point where I could drink it late into the night and it wouldn't affect my sleep. And then I cut back on it and I was, my sleep was completely different. And I was like, wow. So I guess for me, caffeine really was affecting my patterns, my circadian rhythms, uh, and everything else that happens throughout the day. So like yourself, I try to keep (laughs) it like I have my one coffee during the week. It's one coffee in the morning and I'm good. Oh, okay. It, every day in the morning. I thought you were saying one coffee in the week and that's it. No, God, no. So there's two yeah. things that wouldn't happen there. One, I wouldn't be able to function. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but two, honestly, Chris, I really like the taste of coffee. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's one of those things that decaf coffee just doesn't cut it because we've tried lots of different coffees. We've ordered lots of different coffees and, you know, try as they might decaf coffee just isn't the same as, as regular coffee. And it's not as healthy either. It's exactly. And, and we can maybe touch upon that uh, a little bit as, as we go into this conversation, uh, because I'm, I'm biased because of my, uh, <laughs> because of your background. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're a professional personal trainer. Uh, and that's kind of what's brought us here today, but not just the fact that you're a personal trainer, but, but everything that you kind of encompass in the way that you train and the way that you, you focus on helping out your clients. And we're going to get into a lot of detail about that. Uh, you have a book more than a trainer, uh, which I told you when we met last week that I wasn't going to read. Uh, and I did that purposely because I didn't want to spoil this conversation. (laughs) 
I've had yeah, some people, totally get it. <laughs> I've had some people that have uh, on the show that have had books and I've read their books ahead of time, but this one here feels a little bit different and, and I'm really excited about that. So some of the stuff, probably, if not most of the stuff that you touch on in the book, we're going to touch on in this conversation, which is going to give me really good fuel to go grab your book and hopefully incite nice. other people to, to look into it as well. So this is a really exciting conversation for me. So thank you awesome. very much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No worries at all. So this is about yourself, your profession, your thoughts, your theories, your, your beliefs. So I want to kind of start there in terms of how did you get to the point where you wanted to be a personal trainer? Is this something that was a, a long time thought of yours? Or was this something that you arrived to a little bit later in life? Well, this kind of goes back to uh, like, so going a little further back into my childhood, I would say. So just like, it basically has to do with the kind of person that I was growing up. And um, I wasn't a studious kid. I wasn't that great at school. Didn't have a good attention span. Um, and uh, in all honesty, I just, uh, I was an athlete. Um, I, I, I was good at hockey, played soccer, was good at track, uh, golf, all that stuff. Like I was, I love sports. Um, but when it came to school, I, I really did not do well. And my sister, she excelled at school. She was very good. Um, and uh, so I just kind of shut down on the school thing myself personally. Uh, instead of trying to figure out what my style was and how I could learn better, how I could be better, I went the opposite direction. And it was one of those things that when I was going through those stages, uh, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of this, but bottom line, when I was going through those stages, for me personally, uh, when I shut down, I, I just, I, I used everything else as an outlet and um, fitness and uh, just the things that I was good at just came natural to me. I just kind of poured myself into those and used them as an outlet to vent my frustrations, I would say, but I didn't even know I was doing that uh, at the time. It was something that just naturally sort of happened. And in order for me to be better at sports, I ended up getting uh, someone in the area when I was very young. They, uh, I, I heard about them uh, basically doing 100 sit-ups, 100 squats, 100 push-ups every night. And that, that was a routine. And he was a big athlete at the time. And so for me, I remember thinking in my head, well, this guy's doing that. Uh, there's no reason I can't. He, he was quite a bit older than me at the time. He was at least four or five years older. But in my head, I was like, there's no reason why I can't do that. If I want to be the best, then I've got to compete with the best. So um, I just started that. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I, my parents weren't uh, into fitness or anything like that. Um, so I just started to do my own little routine of saying, I'm going to do this. Uh, I thought every day. Uh, I guarantee you I could not do 100 when I started. Like, in a row. <laughs> but uh, my mindset, I'm a little bit extreme in the sense of uh, when I decide I'm going to do something, I'm all in. And, uh, and, and that's exactly what I did. I just basically gave it. And what happened out of that was something inside of me. There is so there, there, some people would say if, if it's not a love, it's not a passion, it's not it, the endorphins that were released. I truly believe endorphins are joy. And you can go into a workout and you can be feeling negative and you don't want to talk to anybody. 
you can be angry, you can be going in to vent that frustration. And during that moment, when you start to release those positive endorphins through your system, naturally what happens is you start to feel a joy come over you, but you don't necessarily recognize it as joy. You just start to feel better and something inside you starts to change. And I, I recognize that even as young as I was back then, that that was a great feeling. And I didn't get that from sports. Sports didn't give me that endorphin rush, we'll call it, but fitness always did. That's, it's such an interesting thing, Chris, because the way you're talking is it sounds like you, you were saying that you were looking for those different outlets for your frustration and anger, if, if, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly. And the way that you're talking about that release is actually a positive thing. So there's two things going on here. I grew up with somebody that are uh, as somebody who had anger issues, for sure. Um, you know, looking for outlets, not understanding different things. And it wasn't until I was older that I actually adopted a more positive way of looking at things. But you're talking about them in tandem. Like you recognize that positive endorphin rush early on. So like, what yeah. was that like? And, and how, how did you, how did, how did little Chris um, actually, you know, how, how did you make sense of that in your own head? If, if you didn't really go into it with say like a positive outlook to begin with. In saying that, I won't say I fully understood what was happening. I knew it was a positive outlet and that I needed to release a lot of energy. I had, I had, I had significant anger issues as well. And, um, uh, my parents, they recognized early on that, uh, I needed to have that, that vent as well. So I needed something to, to get that frustration out. So, and this is, that's after that fact that I had already started that little routine, but they noticed that, Hey, this is something he's into, he's doing it. And then I asked for a weight bench and they, it was like, no questions asked. And we got the weight bench and then it was game on. And then from the weight bench, I ended up getting a uh, punching bag. And that was also another really good tool, really good outlet. Um, so that being said, uh, I, I'm going to back that up to what you said. Even though I recognized the good feeling and that it was a positive endorphin rush and it made me feel better when I was done, it did not change who I was. So my focus of the internal compass of who I was, as soon as I left that room, as soon as I was done feeling good, my mindset would immediately change right back to whether we want to go into low self-worth, self-hate, judging and looking at the world the way that I was before, which would put me right back into that little pit of despair, we'll call it, self-destruction mode. And you would start the wheel over again. Sometimes you feel, felt like you never even got off the wheel, to be honest with you. It was just a, a great vent session. You knew something felt better, but you kind of still came out of it and you never even changed your mindset. You just rushed. You, you, you just, it was like you were being on a rush, right? Like, 
Uh, I won't go into the drug analogy right there, but you know where I was going. <laughs> oh, I, I yeah. totally, I totally get it. It's kind of funny because I was just reading an article earlier that that was entitled uh, "Venting Doesn't Work," and you know, talking about the research is in, and and that you know, venting when you're angry is like pouring, pouring gasoline on a fire. It's not the answer. And I would take it a step further, which I think this is where you're going with this as well. A strong belief that I have is that if you don't like the person that's looking back at you in the mirror, it doesn't make a difference what you do for an hour because you have to live with that person every day, all the time. Absolutely. So you're talking about deeper change then. Deeper change. Absolutely. I I, I think we're kind of jumping right into now the, the, the beginning of where this kind of took me in that sense, right. Of uh, how did I get to, like you said, the fitness part to the journey and my fitness journey is included in my garbage thinking as well during those days. And because it was something that I knew I loved, but at the same, it was the only thing that was a constant in my life, to be honest with you at that time. Um, so I'm going to back that train up for a second. So for me, uh, outside of the anger issues, I also had a drug and alcohol problem. And that, that started at a very early age. By the time I was 10 years old, actually, I was already... I was hardcore into it already at that point. And um, by the time I was, uh, I was, I was a weekend warrior, I would call it at at that point. By the time I was grade seven, grade eight, um, I was actually recognizing that I could go home at lunch for school during school hours and I could steal some of mom and dad's booze, fill it up with water and I could go back. And when I stole some, I didn't steal a little. Um, It was yeah, it was a good buzz. And I would do that on my own. It wasn't peer pressure. It wasn't nothing like that. Um, yes, I hung out with a group of people that we all were on the uh, same page for the most part. Uh, a lot of them didn't drink as much as some of us or whatever, but regardless. Uh, and then um, that did not help everything that was going on in in the, in the anger issues and the other stuff of trying to figure out your, I call it false identity. Mm-hmm. So we're heading into a little different realm there. But um, that false identity is something that I believe is we become conformed by the world. Okay. So we've, we've got a Bible verse there, right? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when you're conformed by the world, you're literally, it's, we're talking about the five senses on that journey for me with the drugs and alcohol, as I said already, by the time I was, uh, we'll say 14, 15 years old, I was basically at that point, a full on, uh, daily drinker. Um, every day when I woke up, I would have drinks in the shower. I would have, uh, I I started to have so much self-hate that I would have to go outside smoke a joint, uh, just to look myself in the mirror, uh, in terms of your mirror comment, uh, it's totally relevant in the sense of in before as well as afterwards, uh, so what I looked in the mirror and hated, eventually on my recovery, it was what you were talking about. How do you look in the mirror later and love that person looking right back at you? And so that's the mirror reflection. Uh, and there's one more part of that mirror. And that is where I got some, what we'll just say my faith. I believe the Bible is also a mirror reflection of ourselves as well when we look at it from that perspective, the Bible I read is actually called the mirror Bible. 
and that's by Francois de Troyes. I don't know if you've ever read it, but that's uh, okay. So uh, it sounds exactly like it is. It's it's great, but I'll try and get back on track here with oh, uh, no where, where we were. <laughs> our our, uh, our audience is very used to uh, um, you know tangents that go in different directions, and it all circles back. The way that the way that I like to have these, uh, yeah, these conversations always tend to circle back to the most relevant points uh, in the conversation. But I think that the thing that I really like that what you're saying is like on this journey to finding yourself, you're you're also going back and you're taking a look at the missteps, as it were, uh, that that took place. Now, when you do take a look back, as we all do when we get to this age, and, and even earlier than this, we tend to look back and see, you know, how we can improve ourselves. Uh, if we're if we're an aware person, which I'm sure it sounds like you are, um, is there anything that you can look back and go, okay, so this was a driver for these actions? Was there anything specific that kind of puts you in that position where you were a uh, an alcoholic uh, at such a young age and 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 uh, dependent on drugs as well? I, I honestly think it it was a, just a combination of myself with the the low self worth that I had. I also coach kids in baseball right now, but I've also coached quite a few kids in different sports um, with my job. And I see a lot of athletes and, and myself, I reflect on your question quite often that way because I was an athlete. And so in some ways, a lot of people looked at me as, quote unquote, a popular person in that sense, uh, where I myself never looked at myself as a popular person. I always felt like a square peg trying to fit in a round hole. I hung around so many different crowds, but I never felt like I hung around with any specific crowds that I actually felt accepted in and that I was able to identify myself or, or grow with people. I, I've, I've watched in some ways, I guess you could call it people watching relationship watching. And, and I've, I've, I had tended during those times to be very envious of other people's friendships, their relationships, because I, I thought, wow, like you guys are really good friends, like, like very tight, very close. And I never felt like I had that. And to, it was always, like I say, that square peg trying to fit in a round hole. Um, and it was just trying to be accepted, try to fit in. I had no idea what that even meant, to be honest with you. So what I talked a little bit about earlier, false identity, is exactly that. And that's all of a sudden, I became normal to myself when I was drunk or when I was high. And to me, I created an identity. And I created, a, it's a false identity, but that it became something that was normal to me. And I was accepted for being that person. And even though people also knew me as an athlete, as someone who liked fitness and was in good shape, different things like that, they also see me as a drunk. We'll say, I don't know if they, I'd go as far, I wouldn't say a bully. Some people might that I had run-ins with, I would say, but um, then in hockey, for example, a meathead, you know, a goon, um, all the stereotypes, whatever, an enforcer. Yeah. Like, so, and, and those names when you're young, well, even when you're old, when you get called things, and that's what I was talking about being conformed by the world, those things that people say about you, you don't even realize how much those attach to your identity and who you are. And it becomes who you are because all of a sudden you're asking the question, is this who I am? Is this really me? Is this all I've got? And no, it's not. You're way more than that. 
but if there's nobody there that can kind of guide you through your to your, to lead you to your true identity then it's a it's a long journey it's a long walk to figure that out on your own right and sometimes it takes uh sometimes it takes a pretty powerful moment i'll call it or spiritual awakening whatever you want to say for you to be awakened to the fact that there's more out there and this isn't who you are or our our this isn't what you were created to be that moment comes in different fashions for everybody and i don't think it's the same and i think for for myself it it was one it was in the moment and i'll explain that uh when when you want me to but um going back to uh what we were talking about i think on on that part in terms of i think the original question was how did i choose fitness right mm-hmm, like how exactly. did i kind of follow that dream so while i was still going through that part of the journey and i was basically lost broken all that stuff and uh my my parents my mom in particular she made a decision while i was at the in high school that i needed to i needed to get a co-op at a local YMCA and and just basically be away from the school system uh there was some other stuff going on at that time and uh that and it was the best place for me just to be out of the school and anyway the school didn't want to give it to me but she convinced them she said hey like this is the best place like i know you're what you're scared of but if you put him in an environment that he can thrive in trust me it'll be a good situation and he won't disappoint you so anyway long story short they gave me the the position and i i got to go in there and and that actually was the biggest driver for me so when i did that co-op there was a guy there that um he just he to me like he taught me everything about person like how to deal people skills we'll just call it so how to read people um also on that though how to read the entire room when you're when you're looking when you walk into a gym a lot of people first of all uh, when you first walk in you feel lost and you feel sometimes alone you feel like very intimidated and this guy had the ability no matter who you were where you were at he had a very soft calmness about him and he'd approach you very mild-manneredly the way that he was and he would make you feel very comfortable welcomed make sure that at the same time once you're kind of calmed down in that sense and felt like you're in your zone he knew how to bring your motivation up and get you to okay this is where we're going to go this is how this is going to work and and so it was really interesting watching and having a a person like that who I would call a mentor show me the ropes in terms of it wasn't about me right and that was the best part was once you start to focus and at that time uh i needed that put my focus on other people and be able to see how to treat them and also hear stories from other people in their journeys and that was huge so that that co-op when i was done it i actually started volunteering at the y and uh and then from there i uh, i applied to college to go to a sports and recreation program and uh which included business and fitness uh, and that's why i chose the program um and uh and and then i also took um co-ops through that program at the same YMCA got my first job as a fitness consultant got certified there and then obviously i graduated and i i became a certified personal trainer during that and then i became a certified human movement specialist different things like that all along the journey right but during that time i think the the 
the main question was what kind of changed and made you decide that this was it. And I guess going back, he, he made that impression on me that this is something within me that I want to do the rest of my life. And um, there's one other thing I talk about in my book that if I were to also answer that question, there was a few kids on the hockey team and uh, just in general around the area that they trusted me, even though I wasn't certified or anything. And they knew what I was about in terms of the fitness aspect and that I just loved it. And they asked me to make them programs knowing that I, I wasn't qualified to do it, but they asked me anyways. And, and I did, and it made them programs and it felt amazing. And it actually gave me a little bit of self-worth, gave me something that I felt like I can contribute here. Right. And I didn't, I didn't feel like, like I said earlier, I didn't really feel like I had that. And I guarantee you there's the majority of people that I knew had no idea any of this was going on inside of me. They didn't know I felt that low of self-worth. They didn't, most people didn't know how much I, I was drinking or using drugs. Uh, they didn't know that the majority of the time that they see me, I was drunk or high. And I was that way because my, my identity, I, when I was sober, I actually felt weird. I felt like I couldn't approach people. I wasn't comfortable. I didn't know who I was. I, th I think that's, that's outstanding. And one of the things that I want to focus in on, one of the many things, because there's a lot of great yeah. information in there, is in going back and taking a look, you, you used a word and it doesn't apply to you at all times, but obviously it applied to some people you, may, you feel. And that word was bully. And the reason I want to focus in on that for a second is because for all intents and purposes, today you're the exact opposite of a bully. And at one point in time, through, you know, different reasons, I would say that there's a culmination of reasons that might even have put you in that position for even one person. Uh, but the, the bully conversation is such a massive one. And you can probably speak to that even more than me, uh, being a father, that it's such a concern now for people. And, and just like everything, we're having a lot of conversations about different things that we didn't when you and I were kids. And bullying is one of them. The funny thing that I, I pluck out of that journey that you just took me on a little bit into you growing up is that people don't often know the things that are going on inside of another individual. Now, the challenge is that we're dealing with kids at this stage, right? And I don't think we can ever expect kids to be that thoughtful, that insightful, and that critical, you know, critical of a mind. But when you look back on that and you know the journey that you went on, how does that inform the way that you talk to your kids about these types of things that you know that they may go through through no fault of their own? It's, it's huge. It's actually, it's a foundation of, uh, to, to myself, it's, it's the foundation of parenthood in the sense of being very open with your, with your kids, not talking to them like their kids and not trying to give them answers that they're not happy with because they know you're just fringing on, is this good enough? Is this enough that uh, we'll kind of wet your taste buds for the time being, and then we'll talk more in depth about it later on in life. And most of the time you never come back to it later on in life, especially if you're talking with a kid that is already at the ages of say nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, and then, at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you're lucky if they want to talk to you. So, yeah, and, and as you, you know you very well that at 10 years old, you were already knee deep in it. And, and by the time another yeah. five years goes by, 
formative years. I mean, yeah. coming back from that is, is gotta be difficult, right? So you gotta try to keep your finger on the pulse. It's so even with the book that I just wrote, some, uh, some people have said like, is, is this something that, you know, like, because I write about my, uh, I, I, it's not in depth with stories, different things like that, but yes, I do have things in there that I'll just give you an example of what you're saying there in that sense. So, um, it does say that I was the blackout drinker in, in the book. And, um, so my youngest son at, uh, 10 at nine, uh, he says to me, you were a blackout drinker. What does that even mean? <laughs> and, you know, like, so, and, and uh, he said something else about uh, me getting drunk and saying, saying that. And I said to him, I said, so the main part that you need to understand from that conversation, and the reason why I told you when you're reading this part of the book, we're going to have open conversation about this, is a simple fact that, have you ever seen dad drink? And he said, no. And I said, exactly. I said, some people can handle booze, some people can't. Same with drugs. And the important thing you need to know moving forward with this is that I made a decision for myself and I chose not to do it because I couldn't handle it. And for yourself, as you come up on those years, you're going to, you're going to experiment. You're going to go through some of your own stuff and it's up to you how you handle it, because I'm not going to be the one to make that decision for you. You have to make that choice. So when you read my book and you see the things that I went through, that might stick in your head and think, hey, wait a second, dad had a problem with this. You might pick up on, hey, I've got a few of those same traits possibly. And I'm not saying it's hereditary. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I don't speak that stuff over them at all. Uh, what I am saying is in their mindset, if they pick up on just a simple conversation, a seed that's been planted on how to correct something before it becomes an issue, then that to me is parenting accomplished on, on that side. And also to make sure that they understand that no matter what you do, I'm always here and you're always forgiven. And I always will love you no matter what you do. That's something I got from my parents. And it's also something that I learned, first of all, through uh, my, my father, my creator, right? Uh, as I, I didn't grow up in a religious home or anything like that. But like I said earlier about the spiritual awakening, as I come to know, and I look at it also, if, we, if we're going to have that conversation, it's actually, um, I think it's relevant, the prodigal son. So a lot of people know the story of the prodigal son. And the, when the, the reality is when that son decided he was going to leave before he even left and took all of his earnings and keep from his father, his father had already forgiven him before he left. It wasn't when he came home. When he came home, his father met him with open arms and the son didn't even have a chance to give him his story of why he was there. The father had arms around him, taking him in the house. And I look at it from that person. And that's our, that's our father. And that's the way I look at that. And that's the way he treated me when I came, right? When I got, we'll say, the, had a spiritual awakening. That's what happened. And uh, that's the way my parents were with me with all the stuff that I went through the way that uh, that's unconditional love that doesn't leave. I love it because, you know, I think that one of the hardest things has to be for a parent uh, or anybody who's in a parental situation, a, a, a guardian, you know, somebody that, you know, older sibling, aunt, uncle, any of those types of people who are prevalent in young people's lives is 
the confidence to give them space to be able to grow and do these things that they have to do in order to learn to be a person because try as you might, but you're not going to be able to sit down and tell a child everything that they're going to need to know in order to be successful. Because first of all, you have no idea what success means to that person, right? So (laughs) you have to let them go. You have to let them do their thing. And I like the forgiveness aspect. I want to get into the spiritual conversation with you, but before the spiritual conversation, Mm -hmm. I want to go back a step and I want to ask, what was the pivotal point that made you turn your life around? You've talked about the co-op, you've talked about some mentorship, but it sounds like there's another situation there that might've taken place or two, I don't know. Um, But is there, is there a pivotal moment for you, Chris, that, that kind of turned your perspective around? So there, there's many, as you said, um, it's not, it's not one moment. It can, I don't think it can ever be one moment because there's so much within, there's something that starts a spark, right? And then everything else continues and it, it's up to you to continue to fan that flame to keep it going. So there's so many aspects to it, but that being said, I've already told you like in terms of a little bit to the mental health side, in the sense, we didn't talk about mental health when we were young, the way that mental health is exposed to us today. So I didn't recognize depression. I didn't recognize my low self-esteem, self-worth. I didn't recognize any of those qualities that I carried. And and those were drivers of the the drugs and the alcohol. So when I was 18, uh, my best friend at the time, he ended up, uh, he got killed. And uh, and that was was a horrible moment. And it was something that uh, for me, i honestly shut down. And I built walls against every single person that came into my life after that, that was so-called friend, because I didn't want to let people in. And I didn't want to feel that I, I was just completely broken on the inside. And I wanted to, I wanted to die, I wanted to kill myself. Um, and, uh, and that being said, uh, I didn't have the balls to do it. Plain and simple. Uh, I would ask, God, even though I didn't believe or know what I was talking to at that time, I, I would ask him ever, like constantly to do it in different ways, whether it was when I was driving, take me out this way, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But um, many people have been through that and I understand. And, but we didn't talk about it back then. Uh, so fast forwarding um, without getting into specifics, like I already said, I, I was a blackout drinker. And, um, so when I blacked out, I typically, I could always kind of remember like in and out of a fog type thing. And then all of a sudden the next day I would wake up. There were always different moments where blackouts blackout in terms of there's many stories we go into, which we're not going to, that's not what this is about. But this last blackout that I had, the last drink, last drug I ever had in my life, um, it was different than any other. I had a lot, I had a lot in my system but I was completely coherent. There was no fading in and out. Um, I wasn't on the verge of blacking out at all. And uh, I remember during that, the moment that this happened, I remember specifically looking up to the sky and the clouds literally parting away. Like they were, like I was shooting through the clouds and I woke up the next day and I don't recall anything that happened from that moment on from that night. And that was not a normal blackout for me. I found out the details the next morning. Uh, when I woke up that morning, though, 
I knew in my heart, I knew in my brain, I knew in my heart, uh, I knew I had two choices. I could kill myself or I could finally do what my parents were bugging me to do, which was take the help that they were trying to offer me all along because they knew I had a problem and get sober, get clean, however, whatever uh, means I had to do to do it. So that was my choice that morning. So I got up out of bed, I went out to the living room and uh, I just started talking to my parents. I just started saying, hey, listen, I have no idea what happened last night, um, but I know one thing and that's I can't, I can't drink anymore and I can't do drugs and I'm ready for the help, whatever it is that uh, you guys want me to do. This time I'm actually willing to do it, whatever it is. And my mom in no time, she was on the phone with behavior control management anger management um she had aa on the phone having a 12-step call set up for me um she had a, a test set up to see if i had i forget the name of it but basically uh, uh something wrong with with my with with my system basically where i just can't handle i forget what it's called um but uh, anyway blood work we'll call it and uh and then from there uh she got off the phone and they started to tell me that they couldn't believe that I don't know what happened the night before uh, because they had to pick me up. And uh, the way that things went the night before, um, there was a, a lot involved. And let's just leave it at uh, the cops showed up. Basically, uh, we had to go down to the station, do the fingerprints and all that stuff. And um, it, it was a bad scene. It was a very bad scene. The way that they moved forward, we got all that done. I had my 12-step call. Guy came over. He took me to my first AA meeting. And after the meeting, we went out for coffee and stuff like that as well. And I was sitting around with all these older gentlemen. And, and, uh, and it felt very weird. But at the same time, it felt very real. For the first time in my life, I was talking about real things that I, I, I felt like I was almost living in a, uh, you know, the Truman Show? You know that movie? Yeah. I felt like I was living in that. And I felt like I was being set up. I felt like they were trying to dig into my brain and they were trying to get all the information out of me. And I felt like I had to be very wise and not give too much. I had to really watch myself, but that's not what was happening. It took me, you know, so, <laughs> but in, at, at that moment, that's exactly what it felt like. I couldn't believe people were talking about the things these guys were talking about. It's like, you don't, you don't say that like out loud <laughs> that's meant for in your in your head <laughs> which which was exactly uh, the way that we were brought up like you alluded to earlier yeah. we didn't talk about this stuff when we were younger uh if you cried i mean i remember being chastised relentlessly if i showed any kind of female emotion quote unquote and uh yeah. and that's just not the reality because as as i talk to more and more people my age and and I'm starting to catch on to different personality traits as well, Chris, when I'm talking to people and I'm relating because it's not necessarily the individuals who are academically inclined. It's the individuals who are paying attention, you know, to the, the softer skills as it were. And it's, it almost seems like if you're open to those softer skills when you're younger, people skills, you know, uh, looking at individuals, people watching, as you said earlier, also wanting to be part of different groups because you're genuinely interested in different perspectives that did that took me until i was like 35 to realize 
I didn't even think that was a thing. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. You're this, yeah. you know, teenage, teenage um, man at this point in time, yeah. a young adult, and you're talking to men about real issues that you yeah. probably didn't even think anyone else ever dealt with. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was very bizarre. So the way, the way it worked, uh, where I went, there was, I'm going to say the closest person to my age was still double my age. Uh, it probably still like, and, and then the, the majority were at least triple and a little bit more than that. I, I realized very quickly though, there was nothing different in their brains than what was in my brain. And we were all one. We were all there for a common purpose. So after I had been going for a little while, that's what the conclusion was. We're all here for the same reason. And some people have figured it out. Some people got it and they got sober and they got the peace that they were searching for and why. And, and now they're living the way that I wanted to live. They have that peace and serenity and love and they're, they're sharing it with others. And that was their life purpose at that moment, right? To share it with me. And, and when I was there, I was basically told, you can basically sit there and you can, you can give me a little bit of information, but what you really need to do is you need to put a sock in your mouth and open up your ears and you need to hear what we have to say, if you want to get better. If you don't want to get better, there's the door. You know what to do, right? Very hard. But at the same time, it's what I needed to hear. You have a choice to make. No one's forcing you to be here. No one's forcing you to stay here. Even though you have stuff going on outside your life that you created, that you did yourself, it's still your choice to be here. You can do whatever you want. So in, I remember sitting in a coffee shop one night and I was with those guys. And uh, then there were some other guys that I used to know. And I knew what they were in the coffee shop for. And it wasn't for the coffee. And in my brain, I was just like, this is kind of, and it wasn't, but it was, it, it was kind of like a fork in the road in terms of what am I doing? Like w w right now, like, am I committed to this? Because that's over there right now as well. So I do have a choice again. This would be an easy lifestyle if I wanted just to go back and I could just fully immerse myself back into it. However, what I'm sitting at with this table. And I was just looking at the guys, they were talking while I'm doing this. And I remember it was like my head was blank and I could see their mouths moving and they might even been looking at me, but I was going through that in my brain. And then when I made the decision, it was kind of like, I just turned the chair around, fully faced all of them, put my back to the other guys and was like, I'm in, let's do this. It was, it was game on, you know, it was like, yeah. What, whatever, what do you guys got? Like, what do I need to know? What do I need to do? I am ready. And, and it was that moment. It was just, it was awesome. And, uh, and, and I, there was a few people there in that specific moment that I'll never forget because they, they, they were rocks in my, in my sobriety. Yeah. That's, uh, that's so cool because that's that moment in, in a movie or a drama where, you know, the kid got, jumps back in with the old gang and, you know, does, does some more rebel rousing and, and gets into some more trouble and, and, and basically really experiences. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, whether they're good or bad, yeah. they're still experiences, but you made what would be considered midway point during a movie, the boring choice. <laughs> it's the right choice, right? It was the right choice for you at the time is what I'm hearing. Like you made that, ch that choice at that point for you. 
not for anybody else. Um, do you remember the thought that went through your head when, when you decided to turn your chair? I'm in. It was, it was kind of like that. And it was just like, turn away from what you're looking at back there, that lifestyle. This is where we're going. We're full in. And I had one buddy that was in the program. His word of advice to me was, he goes, it doesn't matter what you talk to when you're trying to, because trying to figure out what your higher power was or your God. So it's not all roses when you get sober. And a lot of people think, oh, you got clean and sober thing. Life is good. Um, I, I mean, and I, and I see quite a few people um, that are three months sober, different things like that, like even right now. Um, uh, it's constant, right? Some people are on their first day journey right now that might be listening to this. And I would, I would 100% want to say it gets worse before it gets better. You are going to go through an identity crisis and that identity crisis can break you, but it doesn't have to, it can completely transform you and change you if you're willing to go through it. And that's the, the people that make it in the program versus the people that don't make it is you have to be willing to make that change. And it's the toughest thing to go through because you went from living in an escape life and that was your drugs and alcohol. You just escaped life your whole way through. You had escape goats and your identity was, this is who I am. So it doesn't really count. So you can't judge me for that type thing, etc. To all of a sudden, now you're sober and you're still not making the best decisions and you don't know how to make decisions for that matter. And you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to understand your own thought patterns. You're trying to figure out who you are in this world. For me, I was in college. I was in my first semester of college when this happened. And I remember uh, I said to my sister during my second semester of college, when I was trying to figure this stuff out, I had to ask her, I said, how do you study? And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, no, like, seriously, like, what do you do to, to remember things? Because I don't, I've never really studied properly because I've always studied with beer. Like I always had a case of beer with me. I always got high and I would always write cheat notes, different things like that. I don't know how to memorize. I don't know how you do it. So can you share with me? <laughs> and she couldn't believe I was asking that, but yeah, she told me what to do. And, uh, everything's a process is my point in that. Right. And if you're willing to change, you can change. Now I wasn't, I still, even her teaching me how to study, my head was fogged. Like I was not thinking properly. I could not see clearly. There's a lot going on. And as I already said, it's not all roses when you get sober, there's way more to it. And even though I had that moment of what happened uh, that last blackout, what I said with the clouds parting, which I fully believe. Um, I don't remember what, what happened, but I believe God must have taken part of me away from this physical earth, which I assume could have been heaven that night. I don't know, but it took me somewhere where I don't have any recognition of what physically happened. So that always struck something inside of me in, in the sense of, what was that? Right. And, and that always brought me back to that where we're talking about the higher power. And I asked my buddy, like, what, what do you do? And he said, honestly, I talked to a doorknob. He goes, that's, that was the only thing. And he didn't anymore at that point. That's when he got into the program. He said, 
He was like, I kept it as simple as possible. I had a doorknob. I just looked at it and I talked to it. That was my higher power for X amount of years, right? And, uh, and he goes, and it got, kept me sober, kept me sane. And I'm still here today. Haven't had a drink. And he goes, and, and that built, like, right? Like, so there was a progression on that. But um, for me, that stood out. And I was like, you know what? I, I understand that. That makes sense to me. So for me, I went every day to my best friend's tombstone. I sometimes had a chair, sometimes didn't. And I would sit there for hours and I would just talk. I wasn't talking to him. I knew I wasn't talking to him. I knew that I felt comfortable there, but I didn't know who I was talking to or whatever, but I just talked and I felt at peace and I felt calm and all that stuff. And then one day I couldn't get there and I, and I was at our house and my parents had people over and my truck got caught in the front of the Congo line, we'll call it, where I couldn't back out. And I, I was just kind of freaking out because people were everybody was there so i was just like okay i i i need to i need to talk right now i need to talk and i remember i just went in my backyard and i was all by myself and i was like i'm just gonna do the same thing i do out there i just started talking and all of a sudden i got that same feeling of peace come over me and i was like wow you're here and i was like what is that and then all of a sudden that triggered in me something different right and then i so from that moment forward i started talking everywhere i went and, and at all hours of the day, I didn't have to be anywhere specific. And I was like, what is this? And I didn't, I didn't have a name for it or anything. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that it brought me peace. It brought me comfort. And it settled my nerves. It, it brought me what I was looking for. And, uh, and it was a feeling. It was something inside of me. I knew it wasn't, it, I knew it wasn't in my head. Like, so anyway, uh, as I met my wife, um, that fast forward's not too long into that journey there from there. She was, uh, she was a Christian. And um, so for her, she naturally asked me, she goes, oh, well, you're a Christian too. Like she just thought the way that I talked that I must've been a Christian. And I said, no, I said like, and I was exploring a whole bunch of different stuff. I was, uh, I had some friends in the program that were um, into witchcraft and uh, I had tarot card readings and all that stuff done. And um, I was into another buddy that was hardcore into Buddha and I was trying that out. I was just trying everything, just saying, like, where do I fit here? What is this? Like, I have no idea where this feeling's coming from, but what is it? And um, so anyway, when I met her, eventually she she invited me to go to her church with her. And uh, so and I had been to other uh, Christian churches and nothing happened. Like I never had the feeling like I never, never understood what the pastor or preacher was saying. Uh, it never resonated with me at all, to be honest with you. I would just leave there the same and think, let's go to a meeting. That's exactly what I would do. Um, like, I, I didn't get any spiritual fitness, we'll call it. That's out of what we just did. So let's let's go to a meeting. And and that's where I always felt better after, after a meeting. And then let's go for a coffee. And life is good at that point. But went to church with my wife and... Um, it just so happened that at that uh, specific service, the pastor was talking about alcoholics coming from the program of AA and transitioning into a Christian lifestyle and how that works. Or if they didn't even go to AA, if they're trying to quit drinking, et cetera, how that works. So, and, and <laughs> it was unbelievable. I just had light bulbs just going off in my head. I seen the big book of AA but at the same time, I seen the Bible side by side and I'm going, wow, this is crazy. 
And, it, and at that moment, I didn't know it. I found out after that the founders of AA were actually Christians and they wrote the principles of it through that book. And I was like, how didn't I see this before? <laughs> right. How didn't I know that? So, and then that started a whole other journey. And uh, yeah, so I think uh, I just transitioned you into a new, new spot of our yeah, talk here. You, but you did, and, and which is awesome. But before we get into yeah. that, one of the things that I want to point out, and you can speak to this a little bit better than I can. Um, I've always been around addiction. Uh, I, I've never, I've never been in it myself, but I've seen it from the outside. I've always tried to understand it. Um, and for, for the longest time, and now I understand that, that, that approach is, is incorrect. It's incorrect for a lot of things when trying to understand things that you are either not, or just haven't had a chance to, but the thing that's jumping out to me, Chris, as you talk about this is the idea of not doing it by yourself. You know, we were doing all these things to ourselves. We were feeding, you know, whether it was the world imprinting on us or us, you know, just giving them the, the wayward mind something to do which unfortunately tends to be a, a little bit negative a lot of that stuff is is solo it's one individual and what, yeah. what i hear you talking about when you get to aa there's obviously other people there you're sharing with them uh your your buddy's talking to the doorknob you talking out loud this is a way of separating so i mean yeah. is it safe to say that if you are finding yourself in an addiction or, you know, detrimental habit, mental health being uh, doing it by yourself is almost a fool's errand, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, you're so when you go to AA, you realize very fast that what you're doing and what I said at the beginning in terms of the things these guys were saying are supposed to be locked up in your head. You're not supposed to say that out loud. What I really mean by that is, I identified with everything they said. They said what was on my mind and what they said, if I hadn't done it myself, I was on my way to doing, and it was already a thought process, a thought pattern that had started. So therefore in my brain, I was like, you guys are trying to draw something out of me. Right. And that's the conspiracy theory type thing in that sense. But no, it's not that it's, I identified fully with everything that they were saying. And by me identifying with them, I can now take instruction on how they got better, how they got sober. And from that, pro from that standpoint as well, I also talked about, it's important that you look at the people that have what you want. And I was instructed very early on to do that, to, to look around the room, and don't pick your sponsor too fast. Understand who it is that you're looking for, what you're looking for in a sponsor. I changed sponsors myself personally. I, the first sponsor I had, he's a great guy. Uh, we just didn't have time to connect, to be honest with you. So the only time we connected was actually at the meetings. And that's okay. I did my fourth step and stuff like that still with him. We still went through the program at the beginning. Um, but uh, then... The second sponsor I had, we had already built a crazy friendship and relationship within the, the meeting and, the, and, and having coffee and stuff to the point that I think it was one day we were just sitting there and I said to him, so like, is it safe to say like you're, pro like you're my sponsor? And he goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure that we're already <laughs> past that point because <laughs> we were spending a lot of time. 
Yeah. And, and everything that he was taking me through on my journey, like he helped me tremendously. He, uh, he was just an incredible individual that, um, yeah, he, uh, it wasn't just myself that he, like he had many people that he sponsored and there's other young guys in the program as well that they just also, uh, were drawn to him as well, I would say. And it was his character, his nature. Um, he, he knew how to make you feel comfortable, but at the same time, what we were looking for within the program in terms of, he just knew how to get everything out of you. Um, and it wasn't about, he wasn't a spiritual guy. It wasn't about that for him. He knew that I was on that journey. He knew I was asking tons of questions and wanted to know. And he's like, Hey man, just <laughs> calm down with that stuff. That's not your focus. It shouldn't be your focus you need to be going here. And he goes, you just need to keep it simple. And as for that stuff, let it take care of its, of its own. But I couldn't, I just, I had too many questions. And so I was, uh, yeah, I, I went a little crazy on the, on the spiritual side. And, and <laughs> I think it's cool though. It's good to have people that are focused on different things and exposing yourselves to different things, right? The thing that really drew me to you is something I touched upon earlier, which mm -hmm. is that, you're a fitness, you're a trainer, you're a personal trainer, but you yep. don't just teach a model of just get into the gym and work it out. Um, That's right. your, your belief seems to be a bigger picture. You've created this triangle, this three-legged stool, it seems, and maybe more, um, yep. but of physical health, mental health, and spirituality. And that's what yep. caught my attention because like yourself, I feel like I've been on my own journey and that has led me down different paths and looking at different disciplines and, and different ways of doing things just to feel like you belong somewhere. That's a part of it. And then you start to transcend some of these ideas. Spirituality is a big thing for you. One of the things that you had said to me when we were talking before was that sometimes a training session for you isn't even a workout. Sometimes it is a, a session for an individual to just, you, you use the word hijack. Sometimes the, the training gets hijacked and you meant it in a very positive way, you know, by what's on the person's mind, because you're obviously of the belief if the person's mind's not there, the body's not going to be there either. So how do you incorporate the idea of spirituality into your sessions with people who are obviously not all Christian, you don't just exclusively yeah. train Christians. So how 100%. do you, how do you incorporate that in there? So the, the, the first thing that happens when somebody, uh, especially a newcomer comes into the gym, that isn't really a, a gym goer. They obviously are there for physical reasons that they want to make goals to lose weight or just get healthy. Maybe they've had a, a physical issue where they have to get off some medications, different things like that. Right. Uh, and then I've got other people, for example, that uh, have wanted to do a race. Uh, I've got a good story on that one. And then they think that by doing a race during that journey, they're going to fall in love with themselves because that will make them feel better. So the way I always approach it, is the same way that my sobriety went in the sense of you need to learn to love yourself exactly where you are right now. You will not love yourself down the road if you cannot love yourself the way you are today. You will always, you said you used the mirror earlier as a reference. And if you can't look in the mirror when you're, we'll just say a bigger person, 
and you can't look in the mirror and say, you know what? You're a good guy. You got a lot in you. You got a lot of potential and I love you. If you can't do that in the mirror, when you're at the stage where you walked in, you're not going to be able to do it to, to do it after you've accomplished a physical goal of losing weight. All you're going to do is can continue to judge yourself and say, no, you've still got more in you. You didn't do it yet. We're not there. I still don't like you. I, I'm not seeing it. And, and what you're doing is you're reading your spirit, your soul. And you're not reading your spirit because your spirit's itself. Your spirit is whole. But your soul you're reading in the sense of all the stuff that your feelings and emotions, the things that you've basically allowed to attach yourself to, to you, the names that I talked about earlier and all the things that you've said about yourself and other people have said about you, they're still there. They never went anywhere. You didn't change anything physically or sorry, you didn't change anything um, spiritually and mentally. All you did was change something physically. So you're still seeing yourself in that same light. So you're never going to love yourself if you can't start to do that from the beginning of your journey. That part of the conversation will present itself. I never force that conversation. Um, that's not something that I go into any session looking for saying, how am I going to approach this and, and have a little dialogue of, you know what I mean? Of, we're going to get there. I always know that it's going to take care of itself. And as I'm getting to know a person and I'm creating a, we're, we're creating a rapport a relationship and we're growing together. We're becoming friends. I naturally, I'm going to speak into who you are what I'm seeing about the positives. And as I'm speaking into those positives, you're going to tell me what you feel. And you're going to tell me typically the negatives about what you think about yourself. And we're going to get into that dialogue. And when we have that dialogue, typically that's how that will come up. So it's like you said, it's um, spiritual, mental, physical well-being when people come to see me. And I have had multiple sessions hijacked and with the same person on multiple times and, and I'm more than okay with it because that is more important to me because when they get down the road and they have achieved their results, the most important thing in my mind is that when they look themselves in the mirror, not only will they be able to say, Hey, you know what? You did a good job. And, and, and you did, you did it. You accomplished everything you set out to do, but not only that, I actually love the person that you've become. And you might even give the, the mirror a little fist bump. <laughs> I've, I, I uh, have said in my book and I've said to other people, I was forced through my behavior management specialist guy who uh, he knew I had severe issues with that. And uh, he made me actually kiss the mirror. Give myself a kiss. Tell yourself you love yourself. Look yourself so hard in the eyes that you can't look away and you know what's looking back at you, right? The eyes are the lamp to the body, and it tells this the story of what a person's been through, where they are right now, and uh, you'll get so much out of that. I personally agree with you a thousand percent. Um, I think just like yourself, because the thing that I love about where you've come from and where you are now is that where you are now, you're talking about where you came from. So it's not like you're talking out your rear end. You're actually speaking <laughs> from experience. And, and I know what you're talking about in terms of that telling yourself that you love yourself. Um, I found this 
gem of a book. It's like, I don't know, a hundred pages long. It's called love yourself. Like your life depends on it. And it's nice. literally the simplest possible thing that you can do, which is tell yourself that you love yourself. But you and I both know that that is the hardest thing to do when you don't believe it. And yep. you can look to outside sources for that, you know, that, that poke to say, no, Chris, you shouldn't feel, and it's beautiful because we could just use one name here. Um, Chris, don't, you know, you're, you're amazing. You're good at this. You're good at that. You're good at the other thing, but you and I both know that what's buried deep inside that hasn't been addressed yet is what's eating us. And they're the ones that's calling the shot. So, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere in life with that. Now, you have chosen the modality of spirituality in Christianity. And I say that not to be disrespectful. As I told mm -hmm. you before, uh, when we were talking yep. in our intro meeting, I have this very interesting relationship with, with religion. Um, I grew up Catholic, uh, but I've never been really devout. And just like yourself, spent most of my life looking for where I belong. Like, wh what are my thoughts? What are my beliefs? And, and what best matches what I think and view the world? Uh, now, you found that in Christianity. The thing with me with religion, Chris, that I, I struggle with sometimes is that I don't think it's 100% good, and I don't think it's 100% bad. I think that there has been people who have distorted good intentions for their own nefarious needs, uh, wars based on religion, which is what a lot of people yep. will, will point to. Yep. And I think that there's a lot of people like yourself who, who at least looks at religion as a part of the journey and a part of what helped you become the person you are today, who I just know you now, and you seem like a pretty damn cool guy to me. So when somebody does come to you and say, ah, religion, man, I've tried that thing. It's not for me. Uh, it's, it's got all this negativity attached to it. Like, how do you approach that? Especially if it's a client and they're really resistant towards say religion or, or being open-minded, which is really what we're talking yeah. about here. Yeah. So for, first thing I'll say is uh, when, when someone has a religious mindset, that's exactly my answer. Religion kills and the spirit gives life. And as soon as you understand that you have a religious mindset in terms of how you look at God, now you can die to that religion. And that's important because that's exactly what we're told to do in the Bible. Die to yourself. It's not about you. Religion is about the love of God. And if it's not telling you about the goodness that he does and about the love of the father, and about the incarnate of Christ, about how you're included in that, the sonship. If it's not telling you about the loving relationship that you share and co-cohere in, then you have aren't aren't including yourself in all of the stuff that is glorious and in the kingdom of heaven that is sitting right in front of you, or sitting, should I say, more specifically, right inside of you. I think a big factor, and I've talked about uh, uh, a little bit earlier in terms of the soul, the difference of the soul and the spirit and different things. So when you're, as a Christian, we'll call it Christ in us, right? More importantly, whatever moment you've had in your life, some people don't want to call it Jesus. Some people don't want, they just want to call it. And, and, and you know what? I don't think he's sitting there judging you for that. I think a lot of religious people, 
are judging you for that. But I don't think he is. I don't think he cares. That's me personally. And again, you'll have a religious person listening to this right now that uh, they'll be going off the rocker right now. And, and I'm okay with it. Uh, so with the spirit, soul, and the body, I think you need to differentiate yourself what those three parts actually are. And Andrew Womack, actually, I, I, my father-in-law just sent me um, uh, his series. Who I, we, I, I'm going to say I listened to this series 10 years ago. And he just sent it to me again last week and said, I'm right into this again. I have a great relationship with my father-in-law. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, so anyway, uh, I won't get into that right now. But um, with uh, that series, what he talks about is understanding the difference. And I'll, I'll just keep it simple. I won't get into everything that he goes into. But when you're saved, we'll say, or when the spirit of God comes into you, you know what I mean? Which already lives in you, but when it's awakened, more importantly, that spirit that's inside of you is in fullness. There's nothing that you are without. There's nothing that you're going to expand on or grow from. Once you have it, you have it in full. It's now a matter of, now a matter of you understanding how to communicate with that spirit, how to listen and see that spirit for who it is that's living inside of you. And the thing that inhibits every person from seeing that in its fullness is our soul. Our soul is driven by the five senses, our emotions, our feelings, and our mindsets. And we can't get past those to listen to our spirit. And that's why it's important that we have that quiet time. And we understand that, what am I listening to here? Is it my soul? Is it everything that the world is? So when we say conformed by the world or transformed by the renewing of our mind, <laughs> that's what we're talking about. So even going a little more nerdy, we could even go to some people believe the pineal gland, which is at the base of your brain, that is where the Holy Spirit lives, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when we're meditating and we take those deep breaths and we hold our breath and we go into that spot where it's very euphoric, we're hitting the pineal gland. And we create in our mind and in our atmosphere what's about to happen. Does that sound godlike? Does that sound like what he does? It does. That's exactly what, how it works. And that's what we're called to do, I believe. In terms of what your question is, how do we talk to people about this? I think just like we are right now. Do you have a relationship with your creator? Do you know the love of God? Right? And if you don't, it's fine. I'm just going to share with you my personal experience because it just bubbles out of me. I can't hold it back. It's just who I am. So when I'm talking, don't be offended. I'm just sharing with you who I am. That's all it is. And I'm not trying to push anything on anybody because I don't want you to be part of my club. It's not about that. I'm not part of a club, first of all. What I'm looking for is that you yourself are getting the most out of what time we're putting in here. And in terms of the spiritual side, you will have to learn how to listen to what's going on inside to truly love yourself. You will have to break through those walls of what's happening on the soul. And you will have to try to penetrate the spirit to actually hear how much he loves you because he does. A cool story that I was going to share earlier that I told you about in terms of uh, one of the guys that was doing, um, he came to, to basically do a race 
And that was his goal was to do the race to feel better. Right. So when he was doing all of his training uh, for this, he was doing it on his own and he was training for a marathon. And uh, I, I, I seen him doing his thing and I was off to the side. I hadn't had conversations with him yet. I knew what he was doing, but I, we, we hadn't conversed at this point. And then one day we we're, it was just me and him in the gym. And I said to him, I said, Hey man, I said, you're doing really good. I said, uh, how's it feel? And he said, you know what? it doesn't feel that great. He goes, I thought I'd feel better than I do. He goes, you know, like I've accomplished uh, quite a bit physically, but I don't feel great. Like nothing's really changed. In my head, I had a thousand sermons going off. I was just like, holy smokes, where where do I go from here? Like this is wide open book, right? But um, I took a moment and I said, what do you want to say to him, spirit? What do you, what's this guy need to hear right now? And it was a very quick moment. I'm not like, we were talking a split second because we're in the middle of a conversation. And I very specifically heard, tell him I love him. I, I don't know this guy. <laughs> and uh, I'm just like, uh, I said, hey, uh, I said, you, I said, maybe a weird question. I said, but do you have a relationship with God? I said, do you, and he goes, not really. I, he goes, uh, I'm not really a big fan. He goes, I had some uh, pretty tough um, upbringing and I, I didn't really have a good relationship with him. Let's put it that way. And I said, okay. I said, um, I'm just going to let you know something. I said, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I said, I was just in this moment. I said, I just felt like I heard that he wanted me to tell you that he loves you. And he just burst out into tears and started crying. And it was a beautiful moment. And, uh, and, and that evolved into a big conversation. And me and him became best friends. And uh, we just grew a relationship that was just awesome. We went on to do not just marathons, Ironmans, ultra, uh, ultra marathon together. And uh, we just had a great relationship and it was founded on Christ, founded on what happened in that little moment in the gym of just saying, he wants you to know he loves you. And that's it, right? It's pretty cool. It's a beautiful way to explain your beliefs and really feel your beliefs. I feel it coming through the screen. Uh, we're not live in person. This is still Zoom, Zoom time. Uh, I feel it. I feel how passionate you are about Christ and about your beliefs. And the, the thing that keeps popping up in my mind through this entire conversation right back to the beginning is we have to experience life in different ways, in different forms, some of those might be detrimental and some of them might be the path. But if we're not experiencing these things, Chris, we're never going to find ourselves. We're never going to find who we are, what we believe in. And to accompany that, my personal belief is that if you don't have the ability to have a level of acceptance in life, whether that's acceptance in Christ loving you or uh, acceptance that Things are the way that they are because they are, you know, you can go right from the Stoics all the way up to the most avid uh, Catholic or Christian. And, you know, there's, there's a belief there, there's an acceptance that's there. I think personally speaking, I love the way that you approach uh, Christ and your devotion to Christ and differentiate that from religion, because it really feels like we're on the same page when it comes to religion is an issue. 
and not a very yeah. good one. Um, yeah. But finding the belief in something like, listen, I don't know what's out there, man. I just don't. Yeah. Right. N- none of us do here on this plane in this form of this form that we're in right now. I couldn't even put a name on it for me personally. You yep. have you, that name for you is Christ. That, that name for you is, is God. Yep. Um, for me right now, the journey still continues. And I gotta, I gotta yep. be honest with you though. The thing that is the most comfortable thing for me is being okay with that. You know, yep. getting to that stage where like what we're talking about the entire time, love yourself, you know, be comfortable in your own skin, have acceptance, knowing and, and basically just trying to, I know this sounds like for some people, it sounds like too much pressure on people. Right. But to continue to better yourself, because I think that that's what we're all striving to do. Just be a little bit better in knowing that at times we're not going to be that good. And at times we're going to be even better than we thought we could. Like, I don't know. Am I, am I crazy here, Chris? Isn't this kind of what life is? Yeah. You, 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 you touched on such good topics there. And, um, something that I actually wanted to touch on myself as well. A lot of people. So first of all, I'll, 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 I'll prelude this with something that Francois de Troyes says, which I love. And it's Jesus didn't come here to persuade uh, the father about us. He came here to persuade us about the father. Okay. So you'll, you'll have to listen to that again, probably to mm-hmm. let it resonate, but mm-hmm. it's, it's not about the father understanding who us who we are it's about us understanding who he is and that's what jesus came here to physically show us in his form and he came in i've heard some people say it in the fact that actually god used jesus body to come in that form to show us who he was through jesus body so people look at it as two separate identities even though god the father son and the holy spirit are one and a lot of people will agree with that. They are their own separate individuals, right? As well, their own union distinction between the three. And that's the same as us. We have our own distinction. And we, I believe it's very important that we understand that, that we have a lot of value. We have a lot that he puts in us, the same value that he put also in Jesus. And that's also someone, anyway, I won't get into that one. But what I wanted to go into, what you were going to talk about there was when we're going through our journey, even, even once you're so-called saved, okay, you're still going to have hiccups. You're still going to fail. You're going to fall. And what happens with people when that happens? It happens in the program as well of AA where people slip up and they go back and have a drink. So what do you do in the program when you go back and you, you, when you fell down? Well, you start over again, right? In your Christian faith, Do you start over again? Are you at ground zero? A lot of people think so, but you're not. Why? Because you're in fullness of Christ. All you did was you created another experience. And in that experience, that became a weakness, which is now as a strength. So you're not starting over. You're actually stronger than you were before. It's all a matter of perception. So it's a matter of how you've seen it. So even though what you considered a failure... God's not looking at it that way. Jesus isn't looking at it that way. And neither should you. You should look at it as, yeah, that wasn't um, the way that I, I want to handle that situation. 
So how do I want to go about it? And you see yourself meditation wise, the way that you would handle that situation perfectly the next time. And you create that atmosphere in that specific situation perfectly for the next time. And you, 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 you're forgiven. There's nothing to be done about it, right? Like you already are forgiven, but don't hold yourself down and back thinking in your mind, well, I'm probably going to hell for that one. Furthest thing from the truth. There's nothing you could do to go there. <laughs> he already did it all. It's, and there's it's, nothing you can do to earn his love because he already gave it all. Yeah, I think that that's the, that's the whole point of, of part of this journey, right? Is that your the idea of starting over again every time you slip up, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's asinine, to, to be honest with you, just on a daily basis. I understand that different programs have, they're saying, I'm not talking about that. But sure. I'm talking about this idea that, you know, if you walk through life with, so pent up about being perfect about everything and not having any room for failure, then the chance for growth is, is so limiting. I think that we learn way more. I think that this, listen, the jury's, the jury's in on this. We learn way more from our mistakes than we do our successes. Yep. So if we go through this life and we take a look at it and say that there's no possible way that we're going to be able to have any kind of peace, then the roadblocks are really set up for ourselves by ourselves. Absolutely. It's so fascinating because you like, like I said, you know, you're, I love it because we're having the same conversation and we're using different modalities, right? You're, you're, you're in the religious space. And, and for me, I believe that there's something else out there, but I don't know what that is yet. Uh, I haven't, haven't come to that conclusion just yet. But the funny thing is, is that things that I have learned is I don't beat myself up over the things that are outside of my control. Yeah. And it sounds like that's a lot of your philosophy too. And, and when I hear, when I think I'm hearing from you is that because you have the fullness of Christ in you, that gives you the ability to be able to feel whole and complete and knowing that this journey will be over whenever it's over. And that's pretty much all there is to it. There's that. And then there's, I, I truly believe the saying he died for all, right? He didn't die for some. He didn't pick and choose certain individuals. I don't believe that with where we're all sitting, whether you agree with me or I agree with you in terms of it's, it's all one God. I believe that we have one spirit. I believe that we have one faith. And I believe whether you identify it as his or as something else, it's one faith. And if you're in that meditation moment and you hear something speaking to you and i call that choose to call that christ where uh, you might choose to listen to it and call it something different and to me it's no it, it, it i i don't care what you call it my buddy called it a doorknob and i called it a tombstone and now i call it christ right the bottom line is i got peace and love out of that and he got peace and love out of that and i still continue to get peace and love out of this so If the message of, to me anyway, when we're talking about religion, if the message of the cross doesn't always come back. So if you're hearing a pastor, you're hearing someone speak and there's fear and doubt and punishment and all of these things, that's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of the cross. That 
is exactly what religion is killing people with. And it's fear mongering. You have to choose what you're letting into your spirit or into your heart in terms of the way you're interpreting it. So you might have been tormented with bad scripture and um, bad religion growing up. So it's up to you to get rid of it. No one's going to do it for you. You have to be the one to put those things to death because it, it sounds to me like the, the, the God that you were presented with growing up. I don't think I would like him either, to be honest with you. Uh, and are we talking about the same God? Probably in terms of the actual name, but not in terms of who he is, <laughs> not in terms of the relationship that I have with him in terms of what you considered what he was growing up either. Right. I remember hearing certain pieces growing up and I wasn't brought up in a religious home, but I remember thinking, yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to hell. There's nothing I can do about it. And I'm right off in God's book. And that's just the way it's going to be because look at my life. I don't think there's anything I can change. And that that's how I viewed it at that moment. Right. And then all this stuff happened and I got all these different answers as time went on. And uh, obviously I had to be the one to put the work in, but I, there was one constant and it was, would there be a loving God that would take me from my worst moment, my prodigal son moment, and would rescue me from my own life, knowing I wouldn't be able to handle seeing what I would have done th that night. And I probably would have killed myself if I woke up the next day and knew what I did. And he knew that. So instead, wherever he took me, parting me through those clouds, he rescued my soul. He rescued me. And I didn't know him. And he never revealed himself to me right after that to say, hey, now you got to do this. Now you got to say the sinner's prayer. Now you got to do that. No. And what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do when he was talking with the sinners and when he prayed with them? Did he say, first, you need to say the sinner's prayer. First, you need to do this before you can come with me. Instead, he said, the prayer starting with our father. He invited them into his house, his home. He made them feel comfortable, like they were part of a family. And that's the way it's supposed to be, because that's exactly who we are. We're sons and daughters. We're bought with a price. And we are adopted. And, and, and like I say, this is my belief. And I'm not forcing it on anybody, but in terms of the way that I see it on that side, you've been bought with a price and you are now a son of the living God. And we are brothers. We're brothers in spirit. I'm brothers with him. You're brothers with him, whether you like it or not. And that's, that's just a personal, that's the way I look at it. And you don't have to accept it. I think it's, it's really cool. And to be honest with you, I'd like to end it there. Um, because yeah. I think that it brings us full circle. I think that your journey to get to this point and the things that people can take away from this, uh, I think are, are amazing, man. And, and not that you need to hear this. I'm going to say it because I feel like I want to say it good for you because uh, there's <laughs> a lot you. of people that are faced with the situation that you are, whether growing up in the big city, growing up in a small town, growing up in, you know, North America, there's a lot of people that have their own struggles that find themselves into really deep waters, man, which is where you were. And you've not only turned the corner and, and did a complete 180, 
but you've also made a livelihood out of this. And I think that's phenomenal, man. I love this conversation because you're such a beacon, in my opinion. Uh, you, you had to take the one headphone out of your head before we started because <laughs> we knew you were going to be smiling a lot. And I can assure the audience <laughs> that you have been smiling a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. You got the final word on this, man. Uh, let people know where they can find your book, especially. I'm gonna I'm gonna include a, a link in this. But what's the final thought from you uh, before we let you go? I, I feel like I just kind of said it, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, it's uh, when when you're when whatever journey you are on right now, uh, I I just. I want to encourage you to see yourself the way that you, you would think the father is looking at you or the way that uh, you would like to be looked at. And I want to encourage you to look at yourself in the mirror, the way that I talked about as well, and force yourself to take that extra little bit of time for self-care and pour into yourself the way that you would encourage somebody else to pour into themselves, knowing that, what you see in somebody else is probably more than what you're seeing in yourself. So try to see that love, try to see that greatness that lives within you. And as that bubbles over the floodgates will open and nothing's impossible. So uh, I, I think that's a good place to end it. I love it, dude. Thank you very much, my friend. I really Thank appreciate you. your time and, and I appreciate all your words and how candid you were. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.